is episode 73 of Fatalists, a podcast devoted to the supernatural series Lost Girl and all things sci-fi, supernatural, fantasy, and horror. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host Wayne, and busy night for you, huh? Yeah, definitely busy, busy. Um, my parents are getting up in years, so, and, you know, I have three sisters, but none of them live close by, so a lot of the the uh some of the stuff that uh you know my dad used to be able to do himself is now up incumbent upon me to do so uh so i got a call tonight that their old air conditioner uh crapped out on them they need me to come in put their their new one in so and it does get hot here in maryland so i don't want them to be without their ac so yes it does and hopefully the power will stay on well anyway um want to do a quick shout out to our lithuanian listeners Hey, what's up, Lithuania? Well, you know what? No surprise that the bulk of our listeners come from the States, but I was really surprised that number two on the list is Lithuania. So, uh, hey, appreciate it. And what state do we have the most listeners from? No, it's not Maryland. All right. um, California. Virginia. Really? Yeah. 20% 20% of our listeners come from, or 20% of our U.S. listeners come from right. Virginia. Well, yeah, go figure. Well, hey, Virginia, our neighbors to the South. Yeah. So welcome aboard. Yeah. Well, listen, we'd love to hear from you guys. Drop us a line at fatalistpodcast at gmail.com or go to the website at fatalist.podbean.com. Leave a voicemail via the speak pipe tab or just record your own audio clip and send the MP3 as an attachment. So love to hear from you. All right. Anyway, tonight we're here to discuss episode 10 of Birds of Prey and give you our abbreviated takes on Falling Skies, Defiance, The Leftovers, Penny Dreadful, and the debut of Extant. But before we do that, Wayne and I want to introduce a new segment, Do We Care? And tonight, do we care about sci-fi's new show, Dominion? I do care about Dominion. Okay. In as much as it looks cool. Okay. They had a really good ad in Rolling Stone uh, a couple of months ago, I think. And it looks interesting, worth a, a try. So I can say, I, yeah, I care. All right. Now, neither of us have seen it. I, I mean, to be fair, I right. saw like the first, honestly, like literally 90 seconds and then got called away. Yeah. I should temper my I care with, um, I didn't even realize it started yet. So. Well, okay, for anybody that doesn't know, it's a show about angels coming to Earth to wage a war against humanity. And I did not see the film Legion, did you? No. Okay, because it's clearly a follow-up to that film. And right now we're three episodes in what appears to be a nine-episode season. Um, I don't know what that's all about as opposed to ten but that's all that they've got listed. And for what it's worth, it's 76 on the IMDb scale, which is relatively high. I mean, my thing is, you know, you, you've got your thing with little kids being hurt in a show. I think we both don't like to see animals hurt. Um, I'm certainly not overly religious by any stretch, but I'm, I have a little trouble with like Satan movies and devil movies and things like that. So I don't know how much that's going to play into it. Clearly, it's the good angels and the bad angels, and we know where the bad angels end up. Right. Um, you know, Supernatural does that. You know, the last couple seasons have been pretty heavy with the, I mean, it's always been the, you know, this fight against demons, and then all of a sudden there's angels as well, and the angels and demons fight each other, and, uh, you know, Sam and Dean in the middle of all that. But I think, again, like I think they handle it in a way that 
it's not too heavy handed, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like serious, but it's also like, you know, like Dean saying like, oh, angels are dicks. You know, yeah. Like yeah. Said, like, uh, so I don't know. I, I kind of can see how that kind of getting into that kind of stuff can be, if, if it's done well, it could work. If it's, uh, but with not with a deft hand, then it could be pretty ugly. Okay. So I guess the short answer to do we care about Dominion is kind of. Kind of. So yes. I think we'll both probably get around to watching it at some point. <laughs> right. Like I, like I came out all enthusiastically like, yes, I care. And I'm like, oh, wait, it's the third episode in. I didn't even know it started up again. Well, okay. Maybe I so, don't care quite so much. All right. Well, on to sci-fi news. And great news came out today. BBC America has renewed Orphan Black for a third season that's going to begin production in September and air in spring 2015. On the one hand, no surprise. But, you know, I don't know what took them so darn long. You never know. Yep. The, so. the world of the television executives is mysterious. All right. Well, tonight we're going to talk some Star Wars. Disney and Lucasfilm announced that yeah. two young actors, both of whom responded to the massive open casting call for Episode 7, have been cast in the J.J. Abrams-directed production. Nearly 70,000 people responded to the open casting call with both in-person and online applications. I, I can't even imagine what it's like to sift through all those. Uh, that's... Uh, yeah yeah Uh, (laughs) crystal clark an american studying in glasgow who has quote both stage and screen yes uh (laughs) stage and screen acting experience will make her feature film debut in the 2015 feature the moon and the sun british actor pip anderson who's described as a skilled practitioner of parkour a discipline that involves propelling oneself through any given environment with incredible grace and agility and who recently appeared in the Sony-produced Spider-Man ad. Now, Continuum fans are familiar with parkour from episode 309, Minute of Silence, in which a young thief steals Alex Sadler's Halo project. Now, given Anderson's parkour experience, I'm fairly certain an action sequence may be in the young actor's future. Yeah, you think? <laughs> All right. Now, the press release also gave an official update on how the production's dealing with the serious injury Harrison Ford suffered on set last month. Ford broke his leg and required surgery, and rumors have been swirling about how the production plans to work around his recovery and still make the 2015 release date uh, are you know, going to actually occur. Lucasfilm isn't talking about rewrites, but they have announced a two-week production hiatus coming up next month to accommodate his recovery. Uh, quote, in August, the team will take a brief two-week hiatus while adjustments to the current production schedule are made as actor Harrison Ford recovers from a leg injury. Harrison is doing well, looking forward to returning to the set soon. Shooting remains on track to wrap in the fall with the film scheduled for release on December 18th, 2015. So looks like they do not want to delay. And with obviously it's a Christmas release. So they're like, yeah, just, you know, inject them with something, get them up there. And we get it. <laughs> now, finally on to some doctor who news. And for some of you, this will cause you, I'm sure, to initiate a quick, frantic internet search. Not me, however. The BBC is pleading with... Got my the, fingers ready. Okay. The BBC is pleading with the internet not to spoil Doctor Who's upcoming eighth season after the first five scripts have been leaked online. Oh, not going to do it. BBC Worldwide is now investigating what they call a security issue around Doctor Who Series 8 where unfinished material has inadvertently been made public. Now, last year, U.S. fans were sent DVDs that contained the series finale three weeks before it aired, and when the BBC pleaded with them, the internet surprisingly and remarkably remained spoiler-free. 
Now, the powers that be are urging fans not to share those scripts, which are watermarked as private and confidential, uh, as well as any spoilers regarding them with other fans. Oh, then I'm amazed that someone actually released them. You they, know, they, they were watermarked private and confidential, for crying out loud. <laughs> all right. The, we deeply regret this and apologize to all the show's fans, the BBC, and the cast and crew who have worked tirelessly making the series. We would like to make a plea to anyone who might have any of this material and spoilers associated with it not to share it with a wider audience so that everyone can enjoy the show as it should be seen when it launches. We know only too well Dr. Fuhan <laughs> We know only too well that Dr. Who fans are the best in the world and we thank they were, them. They were going to call it Dr. Fu uh, at first. That, that, that's, isn't that in that movie, right? That the, about the origins of the show? Right? Yeah, it so, could be. Let's call uh, it Dr. Fu and then you know it just didn't go over in, in uh, you know audience <laughs> testing. All right. The five likes See? The five leaked scripts. <laughs> now, now you're just rattled. No, I know. You got to take a deep breath. The five leaked scripts apparently come from a BBC Worldwide office in the U.S. after the BBC's newly opened Latin American branch sent the scripts to Miami for translation. BBC source told Radio Times that the opening episode is being simulcast globally, so of course translations have to be prepared in advance. First feature-length episode titled Deep Breath, written by Doctor Who showrunner Stephen Moffat, will have its screening premiere August 7th in Cardiff, while season 8 will officially debut August 23rd with Peter Capaldi starring as the 12th Doctor. So, interesting. Wait, let me get this straight. So, they're going to show it on the 8th in Wales. Yeah, they did that last year at, at some sort of a you know festival or at the, the British Film Institute or oh, something okay. like that. I don't like that. Yeah, well, they did it last year, and see, you you did okay. Uh, yeah. So, all right. Well, that's it for the news tonight. Uh, we're gonna jump over to our genre show quick takes, and I'm gonna start us off with a brief. I didn't plan on doing extant, but since it aired last night, I want to at least just address it a little bit. And it's entitled its pilot episode reentry. And I think at this point, everybody knows that Halle Berry is the star of the show. And, and one of the things that, that I, I just, right off the bat, I'm so glad the show doesn't suck, as I told you. And, and for those of you that don't know, uh, she's been in space alone on a mission for 13 months. She returns and finds out, despite the fact that she has been infertile, despite the fact that she's been alone in space for 13 months, she comes back and she's pregnant. As uh, Desi Arnaz would say, Lucy, you got some splaining to do. Well, and, and it gets, so it gets a lot, you know, I mean, think X-Files, think, um, you know, there are certainly religious overtones to it as she sees the vision of her dead former lover, who apparently was also an astronaut. Uh, and he, he does this little scene where he's uh, writing, in the condensation on one of the doors in the space station, help me. Uh, she has contact with another guy who, uh, another astronaut who supposedly killed himself after a mission. And he tells her basically to not trust anyone. Their son is an artificial, artificial intelligence. There's, uh, um, you know, the story going on about, uh, the, the fact that her husband's working on this project to basically, make artificial intelligence beings the same as a human being in that they would learn through experience and the fact that they both exist, what's the difference? So 
Uh, right off the bat, I'm not going to talk about it in, in any more length tonight. Uh, I, I think it's definitely a show worth watching, and I'd be shocked if, if you don't like it, Wayne. I, it really was well done. Uh, one of the things that I liked is she and her husband have absolutely no chemistry. And I started to look at that as a flaw. And then as you watch the episode and you realize even there's a scene where the husband says, you know, if Marcus hadn't died, we might not be together. Doesn't sound like the uh, something someone in a healthy relationship would say. It does not. All right. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Falling Skies Episode 3? All right. Well, first of all, I need to start by saying Falling Skies is just awesome. So we'll give you a brief uh, synopsis of what happened here. Uh, not in chronological order, just different different storylines are following. So we got, I'm going to start with talking about Matt. You know, Matt's in this like little Hitler youth indoctrination class thing. And we know that he's been kind of uh, leading this underground semi-rebellion, but not something, anything outward, but just, you know, he's not down with the game plan. Uh, he recruited this girl, Mira, earlier, but Mira's starting to freak out a little bit. Uh, she wants to escape. She's worried that uh, she's going to get caught, and so she steals a pair of wire cutters and hides them underneath an unused bunk in their room. Well, you know, the Nazis notice they're missing. They turn the place over. They find them, and Matt steps up to save his friend and uh, says they were mine, and he gets taken away. So whereas... It looks like um, we're going to have the imminent reunification, I guess, of Tom's family. Um, Matt then gets taken. So, you know, they're not all going to be together. So let's talk about Tom. Okay, so uh, Tom, is, they've been playing now this breaking out of the, um, the ghetto. And the, uh, the guy, Dignan, came in and said, I've done this before. And He's the guy who makes the Faraday suit. Right, okay. yes. So him and Hal and Pope and Weaver uh, come up with this plan. Tom's going to be the distraction. He's going to ride his motorcycle around while the other guys knock out the, the wall. Um, and then Hal will lead everyone else out through the tunnels underneath, which the wall even goes down even to the tunnels so they can't get out that way. Uh, he's going to lead them out through the tunnels so that the Eshfeni don't know that they're actually even gone. And so as it so happens, you know, obviously the plans and, and Ding Nan even says, uh, you know, everything needs to go perfectly right for this to happen. Things don't go perfectly right, of course. Uh, he His hand gets smashed and Pope has to put on the suit. Pope then is climbing over the wall. The backpack falls off. He has to go back and get the bomb. Go over the the suit falls apart. He gets shocked, so he falls and all this stuff, which leads to um, you know Tom being chased around by all these aliens, and uh, you know the wall's supposed to be down at this point, but it's not, and so and they just need to get more right. flamethrowers. Right, they need more flames. And well, they discover another good way to fight them is to just blow up the whole building that the the aliens are in. Um, which kind of works. So Pope, actually, I don't know if you noticed that he was wearing a lacrosse helmet. I didn't. When he the suit, yeah, he's got a cascade lacrosse helmet on. Um, was, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, where they came up with a lacrosse helmet, I don't know, but hey, you know, they came up with the other stuff for the Faraday suit. So, uh, so he, you know, so Pope 
you know, the, the always the guy that people think is just in it for himself. Even earlier, Tom had said, told him to his face he doesn't trust him. Um, you know, at the end, after Pope saves everybody, he blows up the, the cord attaching the, uh, the big ship in the sky. And uh, you know, even Tom has to admit that he needs to trust a little bit more and everything. Pope and, they, and they hug it out. They do hug it out. They yeah. do indeed. And then is your other story. When she's looking for Lexi, right? Uh, they were separated by the wall. And she's kind of pushing herself. Like she's even, she passes out because she's just exhausted. While she's out, she has this dream where she remembers being in the Overlord ship uh, when she and pregnant, and she's got this big umbilical cord attached from the Overlord to her belly, and uh, you know, so they say, you know, so what are you doing to my baby? And they're like, well, no, it's ours or something like that. So, and we knew that there was something um, strange about Lexi because you know, like she's one year old and she's you know, aged eighteen years in that one year, uh, but we didn't really know how she became, she was part alien, how that, that happened. We just assumed because Tom was taken too, right? And we just, it could have, the aliens could have messed around with either of them at any time to, to make, you know, a, an alien baby. But, and so at the end, they, you know, you have this nice emotional scene where uh, Lexi and Anne are reunited. So, and then at the, at the very end, then, um, you know, Weaver kind of turns around after everyone has escaped from the, the, uh, the ghetto weaver turns around sees an alien kind of in the background so is this a case of like just like the you know galactic empire does where our escape was too easy you know like did they let us escape you know right is, is kind of what we're asking at the end there um so the good things about it pretty much everything it was awesome the action was awesome the characters i mean it's got such strong characterization here when and it's a danger and i've said this before when you have a large cast like this, you know, do you get good characterization? Uh, the reunion of Anne and Lexi was really nice, but more than anything else was this line. When they start off, Tom and Hal are talking about their favorite Zeppelin album, and Tom goes to Hal, when did you become a Zeppelin fan? And Hal says, the second I heard it, which is so true. Like, Absolutely. I, mean, I remember, like, everyone knows, like, the first Zeppelin album you heard, because that, the minute you hear like I remember Black Dog was the very first Zeppelin song I heard. And the minute I heard it, I'm like, this is unbelievable. You know? And that was obviously long after it was released. But, yeah. You know, my cousin just said, dude, you gotta listen to this tape. You don't know who these guys are. It's awesome. Um the one thing that I might you know, yeah, this whole Maggie thing and the whole drama in Nazi town is kind of I don't know. You know? Yeah. It's it's like let's 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 move past this well you know two there's look like you there's a lot to like and and i really like what they've done and two things in particular that i really like and one is that you've got three groups that you know you mentioned um you know the the tom's group in the ghetto and then ann's group of you know uh, soldiers that are trying to find trying to get back right? because the people that are separated when the wall came down right and then uh you know the little you know nazi uh, re-education camp and there's so many shows that would take an entire season to bring them together and it looks like they've really fast uh, right fast forward things and, and with lexi uh you know we assume tom and hal are going to be pretty close behind absolutely and, and so i really like that the other is that i really like Anne's transformation you know from this doctor to a soldier which has really been fascinating to watch, and, and to a lesser degree, Lourdes. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what to think of her because 
she's obviously on the one hand very unlikable because she seems to be standing in everybody's way of getting to Lexi. But on the other hand, maybe she really sees that as her her mission that she's protecting her. Right. Yep. She's definitely probably the most controversial or ambiguous, I should say, character there for sure. Because we don't know. Um, She almost gets shot by Maggie. Yeah. But then- you know, Lexi just totally breaks Maggie's wrist. Yeah, is- but but like you said, uh, Maggie has gone from a character that I really, really, really liked to one that uh, I'm I'm starting to question at this point. Yeah, I mean, I still like her as a character. I just how they have her swing from oh, this is I'm in peace hippie land, and now all of a sudden she's getting her guns and waving in Lexi's face and stuff like that. So it's like all these swings and just this I don't know, just some of the drama. It's it's fine. I mean, it's fine. I really don't. It's not a bad thing to me. It's just everything else in the show was so awesome. The whole escape plan was fantastic. I mean, like you know, Tom's tearing down the street on his motorbike, and uh, you know, he says, "Up, oh, there's the you know," because he, he knows he's got this timed out for when the the, the aliens will come out. He's like, "Yeah, the southeast guys right on time." Oh, northeast yep. guys a little early. Yeah, you know, like yep. he turns eleven seconds. Bit, you know, like, um, so yeah, that was awesome. so. The last thing I thought, I think it was either writing like a haiku or a limerick about each show. Okay. I thought we'd wrap it up with. And I decided haikus are much easier to do. So I, I, I have two versions of it, though, because the second line I, I, was, I was toying with. So maybe you can help me out here in revising. So here's the first one. Nazi town is bad. Big bad overlord gets burned. Pope sets them all free. Isn't that beautiful? It is. I like it. Okay. Now here's my second one. Nazi town is bad. Ben says, benefit of dute. Pope sets them all free. No, I like the first one. <laughs> but that's just a, like the one part. I mean, I, I assume the kid's a car- uh, Canadian, you know, because like he says, you got to give them the benefit of the dute. Yeah. And I was like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So that is my. All right. Falling, falling skies. skies synopsis all right so i'm going to segue into defiance uh which airs thursdays on sci-fi so it's airing tonight episode four is airing tonight as we're recording so episode three the cord and the axe which was aired on july 3rd so we got christy's pregnant with alex child and look you're gonna have to face this uh you got two daughters they're not that far away from getting the talk from you that you know young man i've beaten you senseless once and i can do it again and, and that's basically the the talk that Rafe gives Alec once he finds out that his daughter is pregnant. Uh, get out of the gangster life or else. I'm like, okay, way to go, Rafe. Now they're they're married though, right? Do they not? They are married, married right? But, so I, what's Rafe? Come on, man. Okay, you got no business getting yeah. in the man's bed when he's all married. Right. All right, now obviously a large part of this episode centers around Arissa and, and that she's being controlled by Irzu who is yeah, some kind of Erathian god. And, and if you recall, and we talked about this last week, that, that basically Erissa sold her soul to her... To rock and roll. To, yeah, to, uh, to bring back uh, Nolan, who, who'd been shot and killed. And then finally she refuses to continue, handcuffs herself to a bar, uh, and the next thing we see is her standing over Birdie's dead body. And that, that's uh, Rafe's housekeeper. You know, she's like, I guess, a female character. She's got a full beard and all of that. So, you know, now it appears as if she killed Birdie, which apparently she did. But we're not done there. 
Um, meanwhile, you know, Nolan's trying to, to find Arissa and, and, you know, so that again, just, you know, not unlike falling skies where you've got, you know, different groups that are out in different, uh, physical points that are going to eventually reunite. That's kind of the case here. Um, you know, Arissa's dragging Bertie's dead body through a dark wooded area. And, and, you know, we begin to wonder, you know, did she kill her at Irzu's command? And, and the answer seems to be yes. Um, so now big case, find Bertie's killer. Well, we know who Bertie's killer is and, and, you know, how are we going to get around this? Well, we get around it because Bertie eventually gets brought back to life. And that then oh, there be, you go. Yeah, I know. That'll do the, it. Uh, when is dead, dead. When right. is dead, dead. All right. So uh, Alec, I guess, on the heels of his talking to at his father-in-law, uh, goes to see his own father to ask his blessing to focus on his record business. Daytech is putting the pieces of the puzzle together and knows now that Stama's been dragging her feet about getting him out of prison. And he's realizing that uh, you know that's not something he can stand for. Uh, Stama knows that Alec visited his father, and I'm telling you, it's like this poor kid. Don't you realize you can't do anything without your parents knowing about it? She, his mom, gives him that laser dagger now that he has the family to protect. And he says, "Well, Dad's going to want that when he comes home." You and I both know we cannot allow your father to come home. And, you know, there, what we've suspected all along is, is put out for us in black and white. All right. So uh, Nolan, like any good father, searches his daughter's room and reads her diary. And uh, Tommy's looking on and he's still not too pleased about it. But he realizes she's capable of doing it. I mean, you know, obviously we know what her, her physical fighting skills are. All right. Now, Pottinger, remember when he cut off Yule's finger to open the safe? No, no, Finds her research. Are you up to date on it? No. Nope. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he cut off Yule's finger. Now, I'm not sure how he knew which finger to cut off. You know, uh, usually it's the index finger, and he cut off her little finger, but maybe it's DNA. Who knows? All right, anyway. Uh, the other interesting thing is Amanda is addicted to Adreno, and her addiction's getting out of hand as she tries to, you know, uh, carry on. And, and it's not really clear, I don't think, whether Nolan knows she's addicted to it or not. But uh, remember, she's no longer mayor, but she is now the mayor's uh, kind of advisor, I guess is probably the best word to use it. Um, well, we see, you know, Erissa return to that Erathian uh, guy. I can't think of his name. Did um. But we've seen him before, and in fact, I think he died once before. And uh, oh, the big guy with the hat. And yeah, yeah, he did yeah. die. House. Well, yeah, well he's dead, dead. Right. Exactly. Once again, rearing its ugly head. Right. Um, she takes his rifle, puts it under her chin. Urzu tells her she can't let her do it, but Arissa pulls the trigger anyway. And then, of course, she flashes back to the ship before the actual initial landing, before all these alien races actually came to Earth. And we see her in uniform with a young man also in uniform. And, and they're talking about how they have to seize the ship because they disagree with what the uh, people in command, what their plans for Earth are. And finally, at the end, we see Daytac returning home, filthy and dirty, Stama and Alec, and we've talked about this before, how weird it is, mother and daughter bathing virtually nude in close proximity, but apparently that's their culture. Well, there's um, nothing wrong with that. 
he enters the tub and you know it really it's 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 really a riveting scene because he's so dirty and grimy and everything you know in in um in their home is so white um and, and just everything is so white and, and pure and it's just like the dirt just kind of falls off him as he gets in the tub and he grabs stama by the head and just puts her underwater uh, as if he's going to drown her. Alec tries to help. We know this is not over. And I think the interesting question would be, is now will Stama try to enlist the help of a non-Castathan to regain power and get rid of Daytac? So like Falling Skies, Defiance, actually not like Falling Skies. Falling Skies has been good all along. Uh, Defiance was a little weak at the end last season, but I think it's really come on strong, and this was really a good episode. And my sources who have advanced copies of Defiance have told me that episode four, which is airing tonight, is also excellent. Okay. All right, so what do you got on the leftovers? The weirdness continues. So again, we got uh, you know Kevin and the bald dude, and he's now kind of unsure if this guy really exists. What's his name again? The bald dude? Yeah. I don't know. Wayne. No, no, no. Oh, no, not no, that bald. No, oh, the bald dude that's shooting the dogs. Yeah, the, the guy okay. who goes and they shoot dogs together, right? Right, right, right. And so people like say, well, people see you shooting the dogs, Kevin, but you know this guy is nowhere to be seen. Uh, they finally find this truck that Kevin's been telling his you know, guys to find, and um, you know it's in his driveway. So people are starting to think that, you know, Kevin is either going crazy or just you living know, a double life, leaving this double life as a dog shooter. Um, even I, I the, prefer the mayor says so. It's like people don't like it when you shoot dogs. Yeah, <laughs> canine vigilante, um, right? The canine vigilante. So you know, we're starting to think. Well, this guy maybe is just you know part of Kevin's imagination. But then he shows up at Kevin's house with a six pack, and the girls see him. Right? Yeah. They, they acknowledge him and everything. So uh, that must have been a relief for Kevin that when his daughter acknowledged that this there was an actual person there. So it's not. But it appears that this guy maybe has been sent uh, to him. And uh, I can't remember who tells Kevin that uh, that this guy, someone will be sent to him to help him. Um, so that's what uh, kind of Kevin's going through there. We got Meg now. And she is in this, uh, what do they call it, the uh, the pledge house, right? Right, right. Uh, for the, the GR. And she gets to talk, and there's another person there who talks to her. Uh, Kevin actually shows up uh, on a kind of a usual raid of this place. To, oh, he's got a warrant for, a, what does he say, missing persons? Is that what right. it is? Yeah. Which, in all fairness, he finds. Uh, and the one guy he tells, listen, we've we've closed your case as a missing person. We've told your family where you are. And then he says to the girl, he's like, you know, who are you? Do you need help? And, and which is Meg. And, and she's like, basically, no, I'm, I'm, I'm cool. Um, apparently the, the, you know, the guilty remnants, the way they get you in is have you chopped down a tree. And you think, Oh, that's not a big deal. Well, there's a big tree and she just has a hand ax. So yeah. that's, that's a big job. Yeah. That's, that's going to take her a long time as she very feebly tries to, she just puts not even a little dent in she's got she has to go soak her hands in the i don't know water palm yeah. olive and she's a big girl too she she's got some size to her yeah yeah 
So uh, her mother must have been big um, because Steven Tyler's a shrimp. Yeah, her mother is a, a, a model. A model, yeah, yeah, I think really about her. So, um, and she is looking very fetching still. I know she's. She's, I think she's about my age, so you know she's. But she's still, she's still a good-looking woman. Um, though I, they don't dollar up, right? They don't right. glamorize her as like you know, like for like example, Lord of the Rings movies, um, obviously. So they they show the lines on her face. You know, she looks, and I think it makes her look even more. Yeah, you know, I think she's even prettier when she looks like a real human being rather than some like elf princess or something like that. Um, so you mentioned Wayne before. So let's say what's going on with Wayne. Uh, the feds crash Wayne's compound. There's like these shades of the Branch Davidians, Waco, Texas, right? Um, but it was crazy because the, 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 they come in and they just, they're shooting everyone. Yeah. Oh, my God. I know. I was like, there's just people like running away and they'll just like shoot them down. And I'm like, well, maybe they're using like rubber bullets. But no, they're real bullets and everything. So Tom actually wastes one of the federal agents uh, in order to save Christine, and he does save her, and they get away. It's funny when uh, he delivers her to Wayne, because like we've been told she's very important. Uh, we still don't know why. There's obviously the when in the beginning the the federal agents who decide to do this raid obviously feel that Wayne is you know leading some kind of cult and that. He's taking advantage of these young women. Uh, but Christina, obviously, is, you know, when she sees Wayne, she runs over, jumps up and, and into his arms. And she's definitely, I mean, is she brainwashed? Maybe. But, you know, obviously, again, there's also something about Wayne, though. Yeah. And that's uh, the interesting thing. I mean, we don't know what his true motivations are. I mean, does he have some sort of, you know, visionary power or is he just simply trying to take advantage of these young girls and this is a convenient way to do it. But apparently, I mean, when that, that congressman went and visited him, he really felt better. Like yeah. He takes away people's pain, right? Yeah. And he wanted to do it for Tom, but Tom was like, nah, nah I don't want to hug, you know? So is that, uh, you know, Tom, I guess, whatever pain Tom's feeling, he feels he needs to deal with. I He's guess. a sin eater. He doesn't want to take, yeah, not, not like a sin eater. Um, so, so Wayne then, you know, now charges Tom with he's got to take care of Christine now, which is difficult because he likes Christine. He wants to be with her, but he can't touch her because, you know, she's Wayne's chick and everything. Um, also, he's been trying. Now, he actually tried to make contact with Kevin, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it didn't work out. Couldn't get in touch with him. And then Wayne crushes his cell phone. So, though I imagine he still knows his dad's phone number, yeah. I hope. Um. And last but not least, we got Nora, who we saw in the first episode. We know that she lost her whole family. And it's very poignant. There's one shot that the the camera goes past her car, and they have, like, those stickers of the family, like the stick figure stickers. Oh, yeah, yeah. On her car. And she has, like, four of those, right, for her, her husband, and her two kids. And, you know, you just really, like, you know, your heart is bleeding for it. And we find out her job is to go to people's homes and – um, try to get them money. I guess the government is offering some kind of compensation for those who have lost people in the departure, but they have to answer like 150 questions, which you can see they're obviously fishing to try and figure out what is the common link between um, all the people who are who, who were taken. Yeah, and that was a, that was just really painful to even watch 
that scene. And we only heard her ask like about five or six questions. Right. And, you know, the, she asked questions like, was your son sexually active? Things like that. And the, like our son had Down syndrome. Right. It's like, right. all right, she still has to ask the questions, you know, and it's, it is extremely painful. Yeah. Right. And she's only gotten five questions into like 150 questions. Yeah. Um, we do find out that the entire cast of Perfect Strangers uh, went in the departure. Did you catch that? I didn't. Do you remember that show? I from do. The 80s? Yeah. Balky and Cousin Larry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so the yeah the cast of Perfect Strangers all all went, um, and so that's kind of. I mean, I, I know there's like a lot more, but I'm okay. trying to keep my well, sure, sure. I mean, and I don't know about you, but I, I certainly thought it was a strong follow up to a strong pilot. Yeah, yeah. I, in fact, maybe this one I, I might have liked a little bit better. Um, it's still really weird and crazy. We don't know, you know, what's going on at all. We're just trying. We have. We're, we're, we're clueless here. Um, yeah. Surprisingly, we, Michael didn't like the pilot, but he said he thought the episode two was much better. Yeah, that's what I said. I, I thought, I, but I like the pilot, but I just I thought this was a, a better episode. I think the the because now we're getting some more character development, some some good dialogue, like the dialogue between the federal agents in the beginning. I think that did a lot to roping me into this episode, like because they had really good, uh, a, re, some really good dialogue going on there. So, and we get some more character development now. Now, um, was it Laurie, some Laurel, like uh, Kevin's wife for the GR? Oh, right, who's right. kind of Meg's guidance, right? Whatever. Sure. Um, she she holds up the thing, not a not a cult, right? She said, "What kind of cult is this?" And she holds up, "Not a cult." And then right. I think did it say family was the next thing. I can't remember. Nah, she, she held something. I else can't up. remember. Um, and then she also through the notepad let Meg know that that Kevin, the guy who came, was her husband as well, um, but still doesn't say anything. Just hands Meg the axe and sits down, smokes her cigarette, and waits for her to figure it out. So we don't, we still like are completely blind as to what the hell the guilty remnant is even about at all, really. Um, as far as negatives for this one, I got nothing. Yeah. You know, I thought it was a great episode. Strong from top to bottom. I really yep. liked it. Yep. I agree. So my haiku now. Okay. Is this. Money for questions. Kevin shoots doggies in his sleep. The tree is the key. Oh. Okay. Yeah. See? A little rhyme there in that last like line, it. too. You like that? All right. Good. Yep. All right. The tree is a metaphor for the futility of dealing with being left as one of the remnants. That's a good, that's okay. good. Right. Except she's ultimately, she can cut the tree down, right? I mean, she keeps at it, she'll cut the tree down. Like, Yeah, she didn't make much progress. Yeah, but, but uh, you know. All right, anyway, on to uh, Penny Dreadful on Showtime. Um, now, did you not write your haikus, Dave? I did not write haikus. Come no. on, man. No, no. All right, so episode three, Resurrection, aired May 25th, 2014. All right, much of this episode focuses, and you still haven't watched it, right? Penny Dreadful. Uh, no, just I've, I've seen the pilot. That's okay. It. All right. So much of the episode focuses on Victor Frankenstein, and we learn that's that Proteus, uh, his creation that we see in episode two is not his first. In fact, his first creation, and here's where it gets a bit fuzzy, seemingly emerges from inside Proteus, whose body literally explodes with blood and flesh going everywhere, including all over Frankenstein. Uh, my guess is he must have been behind him and just like, you know, 
forces arms through and you know but anyway again as we've said this is not a series for the squeamish or the faint of heart now uh, we know from Shelley's novel and from Penny Dreadful to a certain extent that Frankenstein is concerned with the ramifications of his work but clearly not enough to stop so the fact that he didn't name his first creation doesn't sit well with the man especially when Frankenstein informs him that oh Proteus named himself you know, albeit with Frankenstein's help, they sat down with a copy of Shakespeare and they, they turned to pages and then pointed and that's how he came up with the name Proteus. He tells Victor of the kindly actor who took him in and gave him purpose as a member of the theater company working backstage, which uh, yeah, may be an allusion to Phantom of the Opera. But why has he tra- uh, tracked down his maker? Well, we find out that he wants Victor to make him a mate. Now, in the other storyline, we see, and I mean see, a graphic sex scene with Billy Piper's Brona and Ethan Chandler. Afterwards, her persistent cough leads Ethan Ethan to naively ask her whether or not she takes medicine for her malady. She laughs, implying that money she has goes to food, not medicine. And then we kind of see the wheels turning in his head, and he later informs Vanessa and Sir Malcolm that he's ready to return to work, and we know he's falling for Brona and wants the money to pay for medicine. In fact, Vanessa recognizes this and mentions that she probably has consumption, which is tuberculosis. All right. So at this point, you know, we're wondering, is Brona going to die? And will Ethan beg Frankenstein to bring her back, which would be really creepy. So, all right. Now, episode four, June 1st, 2014, Demimonde, we get a look at Dorian Gray hosting an orgy, which, you know, usually a good thing. Uh, Vanessa, we see later sitting outside a Catholic church, but doesn't go inside, which is kind of weird. And the little girl comes out to her and, you know, talks to her about why she's not going in. Uh, and, and we certainly know from other scenes that, that Vanessa is, uh, deeply Catholic and, uh, and really does feel as if she has to pray her demons away. Um, now Dorian Gray meets Vanessa by chance at the botanical garden, if there is anything Uh, by chance. And we have another name from our literary world, and that is Van Helsing is now working with Frankenstein. And back to the creation, wanting a mate, Uh, my bride must be beautiful, the original tells Frankenstein. He sees himself as the future and immortal race and tells him to look upon your master. And that's kind of an issue that comes out in Extant, which you'll, you'll see. All right, now Brona reveals her past she was engaged to a brutal man. Her mother told her to marry anyway. Um, and Ethan tells her he's done things also. And, you know, you're not the only one that's done bad things. Um, he takes her to a play. And it's clearly she's never been anywhere nice. So it's really touching. Uh, the play is called The Transformed Beast. And ironically, it's supernatural in tone. A beast tears open the throat of a girl. And there are blood effects that that you saw them setting up with a little tube under her dress. And and then they're pumping blood out, which is just spurting everywhere. And the audience just loves it. Now, Brona meets Vanessa and Dorian and immediately thinks that Ethan's having some sort of an affair with her, which he's clearly not. Um, Dorian later finds him in the street, invites him to an underground party. And, you know, we're thinking like, okay, what is this going to be like a cockfight, unsanctioned boxing? Uh, But what they do is they dump hundreds of rats in a pit and then unleash a dog that kills them. And the patrons bet on how many the dog will kill in a certain amount of time. 
Dorian's transfixed. Ethan's sickened and leaves. All right, well, we go back to we've got that flesh-eating boy Fenton that they uh, captured in the zoo, and they've restrained him. He says he wants Vanessa. Uh, everyone wants Vanessa. She's so nurturing. Uh, and they try to give him a blood transfusion to, you know, cure him of whatever, you know, it's not really even vampirism. It's, it's just basically flesh eating. Uh, it doesn't work. And then Vanessa is so cool about everything she sees. Ethan tells her he's not disturbed by the boy. I'm disturbed by us. How far do we go? And and that's kind of the, the fundamental question, I think, that, that you know, seems to... Uh, Follow a lot of genre shows. How far do we go? And in this case, you know, how far do we go in pursuing finding Sir Malcolm's daughter? So, uh, you know, next week we'll take a look at probably just one episode next week. Um, but uh, there are eight for the season, and the season has ended. That is Penny Dreadful. All right. So before we get to Birds of Prey, you got a little bit for Project X tonight. Yeah, a little time bit. As, so, the, as the thunder is like crashing outside, right. hopefully we'll. Uh, I know the house is actually shaking a little yeah. bit. Yeah, that's right. So, um, so yeah, Project X do a little bit talk about the seminal movie Fight Club, starring Brad Pitt and Marilyn's own favorite son, or Howard County's favorite son, Edward Norton. And so, in the movie. Obviously, the tie-in here is that there is a fight club going on. Uh, the difference, though, is that in Fight Club, as in apparently like the movie, like I actually looked up, like are there really fight clubs? And there's actually um, How Stuff Works has a pretty good article about it that there really are, but that they kind of cropped up after the movie came out, like they were inspired by the movie. And they're just like in the movie where there are places where you show up. If you show up there, you can't show up just to watch. You show up, you're going to fight. And it's the same rules where you, know, you don't tell anyone about it. Uh, and if the other guy goes unconscious or taps out, then it's, it's done. You know, that's the end of the fight. And really, in the movie, this was like kind of a way of these guys reclaiming this, this lost manhood, right? That modern life has emasculated the American male. And we spend our time with frivolities like Edward Norton's character. I just remember that one. He's sitting there in the toilet reading the Ikea catalog, right? And he's picturing all the things around his house and how much they cost and everything. How much we get caught up in that thing. And the, really the idea of Fight Club is just stripping things back. It's actually kind of like a very, uh, I don't know if Thoreauian is the word, but this idea of like Thoreau is to simplify, simplify, simplify. Just strip back everything to its primal state and... And that's where it is. You know, that, that's, that's the truth of reality, right? Not this um, hiding behind things and consumerism and everything. Um, but in, in, in this episode, we have a, which is just the opposite. It's these women who are captured, forced to fight against their will, and rich guys watch them, and they're not going to participate in the fight. They just, they're going to bet on them and things like that. So it's kind of a reprehensible, obviously extremely reprehensible organization, whereas the Fight Club, there is that some nobility to go along with that as well. So, oh, the last thing is just, the, as we, I kind of alluded to, the, the rules of Fight Club, and that's the famous scene with Brad Pitt saying, you know, the first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. You know, it's like this famous line. Um, and then the, the other rule is about tapping out, and if you show up, you fight and everything. 
Um, so, you know, there are also rules, right, kind of uh, around this fight, you know, that uh, as we'll, we'll talk about later when we get to that part of, but again, the rules are, you know, dictated there. Whereas in Fight Club, you agree to the rules. You can either, you know, either get out, not show up, either go by the rules or go away. Um, for Helena, it's the rules are told to her, like you, you have to follow these rules no matter what. Everything. So it's not quite the same, but it is a chance to talk about one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. All right, cool. All right, well, this episode was called Gladiatrix, aired January 2nd, 2003 sure, on the WB. Gladiatrix? I am. Well, it could be. <laughs> um, well, look at that. Now, you mentioned, you know, obviously Fight Club, and, and clearly there are elements of the 1999 film, but it's really more closely aligned to the Rachel Nichols film, raise and that's r-a-z-e that came out in 2013 and i think i've mentioned this to you and i watched it just you know because rachel nichols and continuum and all that um and in that you've got women that are kidnapped and forced to fight to the death before high profile spectators just like you mentioned um in in this episode uh raise though i mean really what it explored was the depths to which women would go to survive a theme we've seen men uh, deal with you know many times in, in many films and it's one of those films that uh it it's it, it is so gruesome it is so disturbing yet you can't look away and and i can't tell you how many times i wanted to stop watching but i i just couldn't leave the screen and you know the the brutality and and clearly this episode doesn't explore those ideas no i mean they, it just you know it throws the idea out there but we really don't see it but you know again it it, it look um this was in 2003 rays was 2013 and you know you wonder where'd they get the idea right but, well, and i think once we're done the series that maybe we could do like an episode just kind of talking about where some of the influences that we see uh through, from birds of prey like shows that have come afterwards that yeah. we think pretty clearly you know you know lost girl being probably number one on that list right yep so all right anyway opening scene we've got typical huntress fighting crime some darkened new gotham city alley blonde girl walking down alone of course at night of course stops let's check i don't even remember what she was checking something in her purse and then the guy who's the right side of his face is disfigured stops her apparently he's been following her and uh we see pretty quickly that she's met a human herself, but you know, right. She's got like, uh, electricity in her like hands, electric hands. Yeah. But he's got something that, that, uh, disables her. I and feel like this little shoots her with a little dart. Short, right, right, right. Uh, but, um, for the first time though, we see Huntress and Dinah dressed in black, vigilante black, sorry. And they team up to save the girl. Uh, and then when the power line begins to fall on the unconscious girl, we see Dinah use her telekinetic power. And I really like how she puts her hand up, right? Right. And just holds it there. And that's really, really the first time we've seen her use that power, you know, in, in this kind of situation. Well, yeah, right. Well, we've seen her use it in like kind of stressful situations. Yeah. But you know, this is definitely uh, probably the most uh, stressful one. 
Right. And then uh, Huntress goes after the scumbag who has run away. All right. So. Uh, right. But in there, you know, Dinah is, it's this whole thing where she's kind of beating the guy up and she kicks him over towards Helena and she starts beating him. And Dinah's like, hey, wait, you know, this guy's mine. You know, so we see what we've kind of since episode one is her desire to have a larger role to do what Huntress does. Right. And apparently this was the mentor taking out the mentee who was supposed to, like you said, uh, Dinah was the one supposed to do the ass-kicking on this evening, and Huntress couldn't help herself. Yeah, she just couldn't lay off. Yeah, yeah. So Now, I don't know about you, but it seemed that all three women looked a lot more made up than usual. I think if you go back, I mean, they really do all look like they have more makeup on, their hair is fixed, almost as if they were planning to go out and then got called away to cry, uh, fight crime, I, but but we don't hear about yeah, that. Yeah, I I did notice that. I was, I was like, for like, I'm just watching. Like for some reason, like I mean, like not that Dina Meyer is not a normally attractive woman. She totally is, but just like this was something like this one. Like wow, she really looks good this episode, you know. And of course, uh, you know, Dinah with you know, all the black and everything. Right. Um, you know, uh, Huntress. I mean, she's always kind of. I mean, she's, she's right. But even kind of. like Dinah, you say. I mean. She had more makeup. I mean, we, we've said she's been looking older, I think, you know, just in, in terms of, I, I guess, as she's taking on more responsibilities with the group and with the team. But, you know, even here, just, just more makeup made her look a little bit older. I don't know what it means. Probably nothing. All right. So anyway, uh, Huntress finds this round key card that's got the symbol on it. Uh, it's up to Barbara to figure out what it means, which of course she sets about doing. And of course, before anything can happen, Reese activates the bat ring and Huntress runs to him. You know, I, I guess one of the, the major thematic ideas of this episode revolves around the fact that Huntress has to come to terms that Dinah is her sidekick. And she even uses the word sidekick, which has been around since Batman and Robin. Right. And it's really funny when she, you know, mentions the side, she's like, I thought having a sidekick was supposed to make things easier. And Barbara's right there. And it's like, she just can't say anything because, you know, it's like Huntress is, you know, Oracle's sidekick. Right. So. Right. She gives uh, her that irony, look. Right. She gives her a look. It's like the irony is just too poignant to be even commented on. Like she just lets it go. Yep. Barbara determines that all five of the missing girls, uh, in, in you know in the reports that they have are metahumans and then you know we see the, i don't know does he that guy have a name i was calling him cyclops in my notes i called him scary scary okay <laughs> and you know i was a little surprised that he didn't come out and say the reason he was doing this is that a metahuman vigilante crime fighter whoever is the one that caused his disfigurement. But we never hear him say that, do we? Yeah, he just gives some kind of like lame explanations like, you know, no girl like you would talk to me. Like, but it doesn't really, so why did, you know, I don't know, maybe it was a bad romantic experience with a metahuman, you know, I don't know. Well, um, I, I guess- we, we, did, You're right, we don't get a lot of- But, but he does say, he, he refers to them as freaks, you know, and he says that, you know, I tried normal girls and they wouldn't, you know, acknowledge me. And then I tried freaks like you. And, and, and so I'm guessing that he just sees them as freaks rather than any of, you know, a metahuman caused his disfigurement. Right. Because he would have said it. Yeah, I'm sure. But, you know- I would say it's almost a credit to the writers that they didn't go there. Yeah. Right. And just said, hey, this guy just 
you know, probably just, just some guy gets his rocks off, you know, and, and not, now there's not people out there like guys who just love dominating women who, who need to establish their control, who need to lock women up in cage. I mean, if you look metaphorically, that's what he's doing, right? And, uh, that happens in relationships, although not that he's having a relationship with any of these women, but it shows this kind of this male need to, to dominate and control the women. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now obviously there's a lot of fighting scenes in this show and, I think one of the things I did notice, and we haven't had very much to be critical of lately, but the fighting doubles were a lot more noticeable, I thought, in this episode, especially I, when they were in the cage later on in the episode. Uh, I really didn't notice it. Okay. So, but. All right. Now, uh, speaking of fighting skills, obviously we see that scene early on when, when Dinah's working out, and clearly she's honed her fighting skills. And I really like the you know that scene then when she challenges Huntress to a fight, right? And you know he says you know I can I can take you you know we'll get in there no no powers and and I can take you. Why don't you go rent Rocky? Yeah, let it go. And Dinah looks really angry, and you start waiting for you know things to start shaking. Which maybe is an indication she's learning to control her powers a little right. bit more. And she's just like any teenager, young people who think, you know, I can, I, you know, the I'm immortal, I'm invincible, I'm, you know, just, I've got the world on a string. With, uh, and you know, they, they can't see their own limitations, which is what Barbara said to her. She said, you don't know your limitations. It's dangerous. Right, and that is that's, that's dangerous for metahumans. It's dangerous for regular humans. It's just you know when you don't know your limits and you yeah. try to push beyond them. Sometimes it can lead to greatness, and sometimes it can lead to really bad things. Yeah. Now you know we've certainly seen this in virtually every episode, but it really struck me more about Barbara's role, which is certainly as the leader of the Birds of Prey, but also as the tech genius you know the one that basically you know, puts them in the best position for them to be successful but the whole hair sample she got from reese determining that the girl died in old gotham you know it was something about granite i think and like okay yeah that was a bit of a stretch but, you know and then also to think okay so there was an earthquake that completely destroyed the old city so let's just build a new one right on top of it yeah yep. you know it's like <laughs> no. Really? And they some, say like right. the, you know, the old city was completely wiped out. It, it's, uh, it's just right. Too and much. Uh, some sites survived. Now, uh, Barbara wants her to take Dinah and obviously Huntress Box, and, and you know you can't shelter her forever. But Huntress wins out and, and goes alone. Um, and then uh, <laughs> again, there were a lot of great scenes in it. And, and, and again, this was not a light episode by any stretch, but. I, and and I think that's one of the strong things that the writers have consistently done in this show that, that you've got a an otherwise serious episode, but you then put in a line or a scene that's just just so good. And and this is she's ready to go in the sewers, right in Old Gotham, and Alfred comes out and he's got you know like hip boots or whatever for Huntress, and she basically tells him uh, no. Crime fighting today, it's all style over substance, he tells Huntress, which you gotta like. Yep. Yeah, that was cool. 
So, all right. Well, she found the entrance pretty easily. Also, did, did I can't remember? Did she need that that disc? Did she? I have to put uh, the disc in. I, I can't know. remember now. I, I guess know. it's not important. But we've already established that this. The whole city is really like one city block, right? So, yeah. of course, they're going to find the entrance. It's the smallest city in the world. Yes, yes. Well, uh, she gets in there and begins to lose communication with Barbara. Um, I'm not sure why. I guess because she's so far underground. I mean, it's not like there's it's lead-lined walls or anything like that. But uh, But she is captured and... We think sedated, but as we see the and uh, Cyclops or Scarry, whatever we're calling him, says that you are fighting the drug more than anyone has. Right, it's this uh, drug that makes them super aggressive. Right, but uh, you know she just seems like normal huntress. To well, us. that's what they said. You know, like Barbara's like that's what. What's that really going to do to her? Yeah, right. right. <laughs> All right, so. Uh, we're taken to the Fight Club, which is in full swing. And, and again, we, we've seen this. Um, you know, I don't want to say we've seen it before. I mean, I've seen it before in that I've seen rays, and it's, the similarities are, are, you know, very, very clear. Um, but then we're also taken to the cells where the girls are held, um, and we find out that he has taken all these metahuman women. Tell me the rule, Claire. What's the rule? Uh, no powers... In the cell, save it for the ring. Yes. Okay. Which right. you gotta like. I mean, um, now I, I, you, you start to think like, well, wait a minute. He's gonna let them have their powers then, but he's got that little fail safe where he, the, whatever the uniform that they're wearing. Yeah, it's like a little tux or something. <laughs> I don't know. That was like the weirdest thing ever. Right. And he's got the remote control that can zap them. So yeah, even if like they're a you know, so, vest that right. glows so, and also they're like ah. Right. So they can't turn their powers against him. Yes. Right. So, uh, or each other. Or, or each other. Right. All right. Now, Barbara calls Reese for help, which is kind of a, a, a nice twist. And uh, he, we find out he had arrested a guy that had one of those discs, tells, that he's heard, tells her that he's heard rumors about an underground fighting ring with women, uh, women. Men actually pay to watch each other beat themselves up? Yeah. Come <laughs> <Sure>. on. <laughs> Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, just another one that seems like, oh, yeah, like Reese has these all the time. Like, oh, well, I've heard about this thing. We never actually did anything about it, but yeah, I heard about that totally illegal thing going on. Right. Well, I, we did like, you know, later when he que- he tells her that that he questioned him, Yeah, he got a little more talkative when he didn't have his lawyer and he was hanging by his ankles out a window. Right. Um, now, the other thing is, and I think, you know, we've seen this before, but certainly not to this extent, Dinah put into the field on her own. And, uh, you know, we've seen her kind of sneak out before, but she's been working out hard, clearly has improved her skills, and um, even tries to bait Huntress into fighting her at, at that one point. Um, but with Huntress captured out of communication, there's nobody else. So it's up to her to save her, and she's all ready to present her argument, complete with counterclaim. Right. And Barbara says, no. You're right. Go. You're good. Yep. And uh, she's uh, totally really? not expecting that. Yep. Um, and she gets in, pre- you know, predictably gets captured. I think we of saw course. that. We knew this, that was going to happen. Yeah. Way. Well, since earlier in the episode, she wanted to fight her, right? She says, yeah. come on, fight me. And then, and so now one of them is locked up in a fight club. Well, 
who's she going to fight? Oh, let me guess. The person who they asked to fight her earlier, right? Yep. So, all right. So then we get to, you know, uh, the post-commercial, I guess it's probably act three at, at this point. And Huntress volunteers to fight the undefeated 12-0 and Kayla the Destroyer. Yeah. And then Huntress is introduced as... Oh, I can't remember. The Green Scorpion the, oh. of Doom. Nice. And she look on her face like, yeah. really? No. <laughs> All right. So we find out Kayla, she's a, she can throw fire with her hands. And obviously Huntress is not buying into the to the death aspect. Yeah, she's got a really crappy aim too. Yeah, yeah. Well, Huntress, I mean, that is her one thing. She is quick. There's like, there's like bad guys, like, right? In yeah. like movies and TV, bad guys can't hit anything. It's like the stormtrooper effect. Right. Now now these episodes are fairly short, and we've mentioned that before, that that most episodes are under forty one minutes mm-hmm. for birds of prey. So uh, I'm not a big fan of lengthy fight scenes. So, you know, we had a two-minute fight scene, which I thought was pretty reasonable. And then Huntress wins the fight but doesn't kill her, taken back to her cell. Right. And that's when, you know, she's told, you're fighting the drug harder than the others, but you'll break. And then the kill will be more savage and spectacular. And, yeah, and I like that. He's also like, hmm, well, we now you've beaten our champion. Who are we going to get you to fight? Like, well, uh, okay, Dinah's heading your way, so I guess it's going to be her then, huh? Well, and he he mentions rules several times and like, dude, this is Huntress. Right. Right. Huntress doesn't play by rules, so clearly this guy doesn't know that. All right. Now, meanwhile, Barbara's discovered that traces of the drug work as an antidote. I'm not sure how she discovered that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's just it's just like last week, you know. He we need to unspread his molecules. Like what? Yeah, just you just gotta let it go. Yeah, yeah. Um, now Reese tells Barbara he's found the spot. Um, he's gonna go in, and she's like, "No, you can't go in without backup." And he's like, "Barbara, I'm sorry." He calls her Oracle. Oracle, the police are paid off. The deputy commissioner is a patron. You know, this is Huntress in there. I owe her and more. And more what? What's the and more? Come on. Yeah, I, I guess he just means that. A more? <laughs> oh, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Could All right. be. <laughs> All right, well, Alfred brings Reese a comm set. Uh, in a, again, one of those really cool scenes. Just oh, pull up in front of the building, open your window, why just open your window detective reese and obviously alfred's there with the comm set and when he turns around alfred's gone and he says oh no not another one right all right well that's gotta be frustrating right all right well anyway little miss crime fighter jr gets caught and drugged and then she's placed in with uh, huntress and and um you know i think we we knew they were both in enough control that that they weren't going to kill each other certainly and they probably weren't going to really even hurt each other although at the end that was kind of cool when when they're walking out together and huntress is kind of limping a little bit yeah well that, yeah the, the buddy stroll was was uh funny in this one yeah so. yeah and you've mentioned that before and, and yeah. that's something that i think is really a, a great way to end it even though they do it often it it still works and you know, even say, you know, oh, this is the beginning of a beautiful relationship. <laughs> right. And then, uh, you know, in that final, final scene, Dinah and Huntress are in an alley at night and Dinah takes this one. And, and, you know, the guy, it's like, you need to run away, girly running away. 
it's just not my style. Right, which is, we didn't mention, but that's, you know, mirrors exactly what Huntress said in the very first scene where the, the girl who was being attacked said, you should run away. She's like, that's nah, not really my style. Yeah. Now, I did see in your notes um, that, that you th- felt like this was your favorite episode of the season so far. Yeah, I think. I don't okay. know. I mean, like the the one, not last week, but the one before that with, you know, like the obsession one, right? With with uh, uh, Huntress's old roommate. Yeah. Um, that, was, that was really good. But I, you know, I just, I really like this one. Yeah, that I did too. I, I think I still like that one better, but but I definitely like this one. I thought this was really strong. And, you know, going into, you know, we've got three left. And as we've said many times, we don't know what the writers knew. Right. You know, at this point in the series, uh, I suspect that uh, when they were planning it out, they probably didn't know at this point. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. But, but uh, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see. You know, I mean, well, by the time they've written it, certainly they, they didn't know. I mean, these things were in the can, I'm sure long before they had any idea of what was going on. And we mentioned before, I'm sure they thought that they were going to get like another nine, 10 episodes at the very least or but whatever. So we'll see. I yeah. mean, certainly we, we, there's no like overarching story. I think that unless we see one maybe getting introduced in uh, you know, the next couple episodes, but we're not going to certainly won't. I don't think we'll see it resolved by the time this thing's done. Well, right. And we've said, we keep waiting for the return of Dr. Quinzel. And I know you're, you're ready to go on project X with, with something about I, her, I but, know, just but waiting, 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 right. We need her to be in a, in an episode. And so there's certainly that story arc where she's trying to take over Gotham, uh, new Gotham city. But you know, these last few episodes have been kind of, you know, standalones, which is fine. You know, I mean, there has been that story arc about Dinah wanting to be more an active part of the team and, and being allowed to go into the field and, you know, the whole trust issues between her and, and Helena. And, you know, so there is that. And then, of course, recent Helena, but I've kind of given up on that. All right. Anyway, anything else you want to? No, I think that just about covers it. Okay. Yeah. We said thumbs up. Good episode. Liked it. All right. Cool. All right, well, we're glad you could join us tonight. And if you'd like to send some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Emails to fatalistpodcast at gmail.com, voicemails via SpeakPipe, which you can access through the Fatalist website. And we will be back next week to discuss episode 11 of Birds of Prey titled Reunion. But until then. So, Dave, you versus me, Rocky versus Apollo. Who's Rocky? Rocky.